Hey, Steven, we got to figure out an intro to the podcast. That works. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to another episode of the No Fluff MSB Marketing Podcast. Today, I am super excited to have Brian Doyle on. Brian, really appreciate it. Hey, Tanner, it's great to be here, man. It's fun to be on the other side of the mic, too. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm enjoying this just knowing that I didn't have to prepare today. Yeah. <laughs> and the cool thing is, neither did I. No, I'm joking. I did no, a little bit of hey, God bless. That's the way it should be. <laughs> and uh, so, a little bit of background as how I got introduced to Brian. Um, I actually listened to his podcast, MSP Business School like right after we launched ours, cause I was doing, you know, the old SEO thing where you're like, well, what other podcasts are there? And, you know, I say like MSP business school, MSP unplugged, Paul Green's podcast, and then like a bunch of other ones. But those were like the three that just kept coming up. Um, and so I started listening to those podcasts. Love it. It's really engaging. Um, and we together are on the pitch it um, program, which has been super cool. I mean, yeah, it has been a lot of fun and, uh, you know, they brought a lot more to it than I was expecting. Yeah. When I first got in ConnectWise did a really good job of getting some great speakers for us to learn from. Yeah. Like that's the crazy part is like every speaker for every topic is like highly credentialed, like so much experience, like they really know their stuff. So I've, I've just really enjoyed that. And so I've gotten to kind of see Brian in those meetings and then like our preparation for the pitches. I've heard his pitch a couple of times. I'm like, man, this guy's really got something cool here. And I've seen VCI Toolbox before, but now I really like, really see it and really kind of like, like your style of how you approach, you know, um, you know, account management, and everything else, which we'll get into. Um, before we get into that, can you kind of let's just kind of get into your background? Like, yeah. how did you how did you get started? You know, you know, the, the classic I love yeah, hearing the background. So, you know, the the. the the small, small snapshot on it all is like this. I won't take you back into total history, but I kind of got into IT before the the first of two uh, little droughts that we experienced. So, uh, you know, by the gray hair on my head, you could tell that I started my career in the 90s. And, um, you know, around uh, 2001, when the dot-com boom hit, I was just working as a sales rep at an integrator. But it was around that time that, you know, when everybody started kind of pushing the dot-com zone, people took the eye off the ball in traditional integration. So myself and a gentleman named Frank Jacino ended up being one of my partners. We were kind of holding down the regular business for this company while everybody else was exploring all the great dot-coms that were getting written up on the back of a napkin at that point. Mm. Um, the organization we worked for um, grew from eight up to 52 back down to eight in a nine month time frame at oh. the end of 2000 to 2001 as the, uh, the dot-com bubble burst. Mm. And uh, our journey into entrepreneurship, like many, was an accidental journey. The only reason we ended up in it is our boss came to us and said, I can't pay you past Friday. I don't know who your customers are. If you can convince them to take to go with you, I'm not going to stop you. Oh, wow. And me and my partner did a little road show. We went out and saw everybody and pretty much unilaterally, they all said, yeah, we'll stay with you as long as we're not the only one. So we had a show that we had a little bit of a roster, but quite candidly, it gave us a base that we were at least able to pay ourselves. We were pre-kids at that point in time. Uh, both our wives carried the insurance and away we went. And uh, we ran an MSP for, you know, roughly eight years at that point in time. And it was traditional pure play MSP. We got into the game very early. For those of you that remember some of the older tools, we were a silverback partner in 2002. But, um, you know, the reality was we knew as we were heading into 2007 that we were going to need to, um, you know, kind of. Uh, change, you know, change up our mix. We were seeing data centers coming to the forefront. So we merged in with another organization and remain partners there to build a data center centric MSP. Hmm. So we started doing cloud desktops and all that kind of fun stuff right around 2008, 2009 timeframe. Around uh, 2014, we had a successful exit event, all that kind of good stuff. I did a little time as a hired gun at another MSP, building another data center, both here and down your way, Tyre, here in Orlando. Oh, cool, yeah. And uh, then when I left there, I had a little non-compete time. Hmm. So I said, you know, what should I do? So I was always thinking about a problem that we faced when we were uh, in MSP and kind of the process we used to address it. And that was really you know, kind of a core process around account management and how we could elevate our perception behind, beyond, um, op, you know, being an operational partner. Mm -hmm. 
But I had a little stall in getting that off the ground because this wonderful opportunity to go corporate came my way. Mm. And I always said, you know, I should try that. I had some friends that were in this organization. They said, you would love it. I went corporate and I couldn't have been more miserable. <laughs> so, but the, but what it did do for me, and I only share it there is I was working for a fortune six and I used to have to do internally quarter, internal quarterly business reviews to the CEO, CIO and CFO of this organization at the top down. And it really got me in tune. You know, we had our process that we built that I'll go into in a moment, but that combined with, uh, with what I learned there really told me you got to speak in the language that they understand. Well, these were highly seasoned ex executives running a large scale health organization. They knew any, nothing about the technologies we owned, which were paperless process and things like that. Mm -hmm. And we had to talk to them as if they were five-year-olds is kind of yep. the way they used to tell yep. it to us. I have a whole that explain really, like I'm five series coming out because I think that's so important. Yeah. And that really resonated with me to mm -hmm. say, look, we did a good job at the process, but I think we're still talking to tech. And that's really where BCIO Toolbox was born. Hmm. That my, my current partner, Ken Fernley, who was also our CTO, had a low-code, no-code platform. And when I was working um, you know, at, at, in the enterprise, he had me take a look at it because he was running a product that was really geared towards the enterprise for um, product lifecycle management. Hmm. When I saw the underlying platform, though, and the modules he had already had pre-built that we could extend off of, I was like, hey, can this thing do this? And he said, yeah. And we built a prototype in three months. Nice. And we were off to the races. You know, that's kind of where it kicked off. So wow. um, that's my little quick journey. Hopefully that was fairly quick of kind of, you know, I'm an MSP guy by heart, a little bit of corporate time. And that's what, what led us to launch this product. And this product's really the answer problem that I think many MSPs fall in, have fallen victim to in the past. Hmm. The curse of the great MSP. Yeah. The more we automate. The more we do remotely, the less we tend to be on site yep. and the less things tend to break. And when that happens, our value gets called into question. hundred percent, especially as we, you know, we definitely doesn't feel like a recession, but if we do go into recession, having tools like this and reporting things to really show people the value outside of, yeah, we do help desk tickets. Like anybody pitching help desk is, is not doing a good job in positioning nowadays. And I still, I still see MSPs trying to do that. Yeah. Um, we're going to get into a lot today. That was a really good intro. And I love the entrepreneurial grind. Like, I just love it. So I love hearing people's background as to how they got started. You grew a successful MSP, you sold it, got some capital, tried the corporate, you realize, oh, wait, I'm an entrepreneur. This is the worst thing ever. Started <laughs> another thing. It's going well. Uh, people like it. Um, you know, I saw Red on Reddit the other day, someone was like, hey, I need some type of BCIO you know, or CIO tool. And like, you know, it was a cool scene you guys recommended. And someone was like, you know, VCIO a few years ago, it was kind of like simple. And it's like, man, what they've done in the last few years. And yeah. it's like, it's cool. And I, I know we're going to get into that, but it's just cool to see. And I feel the same way. Like MSP camp, we launched 11 months ago. Now I can't believe anybody paid us back then. You know, it was that really ready, fire, aim thing where yeah. I just like, we got to ship it. We built the site in a month. Obviously, the content took a lot more than a month. But, you know, the site I was like, we just got to get something going. Um, that's exactly what you did. You're like, let's launch. Let's go and we'll figure it out as we go. Yeah, I um, mean, you know, we're very big in the agile framework process. Mm -hmm. So it's it's quick iterations. Get it out there. Get feedback. We're not looking, mm -hmm. you know, we don't go beta you know, with our customers, but it's more, hey, we think this is going to work this way. But what has been shown time and time again is what we think can be improved upon. And if we mm -hmm. listen to our users, the vision we had for a feature or for an approach model only gets better. Yep. Only gets better with groupthink. Couldn't agree more. And that's why I tell MSPs, I know you got that one painful client. And maybe they're just, maybe they're just a butt. Like maybe they're really just not a good client. But sometimes if you listen to that client, there's a lot of truth. There's a yeah. lot of value that comes out of those complaints. Cause it's like, dang, yeah. Why didn't we provide enough updates on that project? Or like, Oh yeah. The onboarding wasn't that smooth. Right? Like those complaints, like most clients, they're going to deal with some frustration, frustration, and they're never going to say a thing. But the ones that do say something, whether it's good, positive, constructive criticism or them complaining, there's value in both. Um, so man, that's great. So many things with MSP camp has improved because of members. We have one, member that listens to this all the time. His name's Barrett. He's like my favorite member of all time. I used to hear from him every week when we started. He was one of my first members. And he'd give me a lot of feedback. 
whoa, he'd give me a lot of feedback. He's like, hey, you can't log out. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you can't log out of the site. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Right. <laughs> and now I never hear from Barrett except like, hey, you're doing great. I'm like, yes, we, we've listened to Barrett. We improved the service. Now everybody wins. You know, if, Barrett, if you're listening. We quieted the noise, right? But that's yeah. the goal. Yeah. Well, you know, I had, I had a mentor that once said to me, humility drives excellence, right? The more vulnerable you can be, the more you can listen to your customers and not take offense to it. If they tell you your baby's a little bit ugly, yeah. um, you will probably excel long term. So, you know, I've always, yeah, I shouldn't say always. I mean, it took me a little while of maturation in my own self and career to get to that point. But once you hit it, you really realize if you listen to people, they've got great ideas. Then yeah. you work in the world of threes. At least that's how I approach it. If I hear it three times, there's probably legitimacy to it. We're going to get it in the system. Otherwise, I'm not in the business to build custom software. <laughs> nice. No, I like that. Yeah, the, the, the law of threes. That's cool, man. So, so I guess because you probably have a a lot of experience and thoughts on this. What are your thoughts on the QBR, a quarterly business review, as they it's call broken, it? It's broken, man. It's broken. Okay. And it's frustrating for all parties, for the customer, for the MSP, because no one has really defined the message. And it went away from its original roots of being kind of a, a forward-looking discussion into this period where it became nothing more than a glorified sales call. Mm -hmm. Customers are smart. They can mm -hmm. see through that. Also, it became all about the MSP. Hey, these are the things we're doing because our way of just trying to describe value is showing people what happened behind the curtain. But does your insurance company do that, right? You pay for car insurance. Your biggest hope is you never have to use it. Mm -hmm. Right. You pay for, you know, uh, homeowners insurance. You're really hoping you're not going to use that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's almost the same kind of thing here, except you are getting things done. So, you know, what I found was even myself when we were building, you know, our M MSP process, when we lost customers, we saw it was because we never got past being the co commodity layer. We were mm -hmm. viewed as operating partners. And I think many MSPs know customers that they're that way with. Mm -hmm. Then the customers that we did really well with, it was only because we knew their business. Some of that just came out because the personalities we were talking to were more open and engaging, probably not intentionally asking those questions at all times. But as we started to know those customers and we were able to communicate that internally, the team got better at serving that client. Customers started understanding we knew what they were all about and the relationship flourished and usually things move quicker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we said to ourselves, we've got to change this process because I'll tell you some of the ways that I approached it. And if you're an MSP, you may still be doing it this way too. So one, the big performance-driven QBR. I'm going to print out a bunch of reports with all this great information. I'm going to put a document in front of you that's got great thud factor. And then the first time the customer sees it, they're going to be really into it because there's all these cool graphs going on and they had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And then at the second meeting, they're like, oh, cool. We're still doing pretty good. But by the third meeting, it started losing its luster, man. You know, Hey, I've seen this before. What's in mm -hmm. it for me? And that was a you know lesson number one for me. We got to get it there. Lesson number two was if you're going to bring your engineer, don't let him lead. And it's mm -hmm. nothing against the engineers. It's just engineers love acronyms mm -hmm. and customers don't understand acronyms. Mm -hmm. The reason most MSPs have a client is because they don't have IT people. So mm -hmm. we need to fill that void, but we need to talk to them the way they wanted to be talked to. Yep. So when we started seeing those two things, and then it was asking the customers, what do they want to achieve? And going beyond just the tech side of things, but really going, hey, where do you want to take your business? You know, what are the key initiatives you're going after overall? I don't care if they're tech related, because I just want to understand what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And the more we got into those conversations, the more information flowed. And quite frankly, opportunity just grew because now we saw areas we could intersect with that we didn't even know existed within the company. Mm -hmm. So once we sat down and did those three things, it was really time to build a process around it. And that's kind of what our next step was. And to your original question, once we built that process, our QBRs became must attend events as opposed to I don't want to have this meeting and that push out mm -hmm. that a lot of MSPs feel. Oh, yeah, they do. That was great. And I totally agree. And honestly, the thud factor report, I know it's, it's lame and most people don't do it, but if an MSP is at least doing that, I think they're doing more than most. <laughs> yeah. And look, there's nothing wrong with the thud factor report. At the end of the 
a normal period, even a VCIO toolbox customer could be potentially giving a report that has some FUD factor at the close of the meeting period, mm-hmm. but it's after action items are attended to when we're getting to a final report and we're putting something together that they might have to hand to a compliance officer or mm-hmm. a regulator. Yeah, so yeah. it's got a different intent at that point, but it's not meant to drive the meeting experience we're trying to have with our customer. Yeah, no. And I totally agree. Thought factor is not good. Big fat report. Nobody's really looking at, but oh, at I used least to find they'd look at their PC. Oh, why is my PC in the red? And it's like, because you got a terabyte hard drive and you got 750 gigs on it. It's not yeah. a problem. You know, yeah. Yeah. You, you see me, the visual was me rubbing my face because those used to be some of the more painful, mind-numbing conversations in my mm-hmm. life. <laughs> yeah. So, so this question is actually more for me. I'm sure listeners are going to get something out of it too. But I kind of I don't want to say I struggle with this a little bit, but you know, usually in a QBR, it's like I'm going with usually the senior tech's name's Tim, and then now we're starting to go where I'm moving more and more out of my role as an account manager just because I'm busy with MSP Camp and all techs. So I'm like, I can't also be doing all these network reviews. We call them network and security yeah. reviews. So now I got my account manager going and he's been going on some by himself because we got a good process. And I'm like, all right, we, I don't want to bring Tim who is like our top guy to a meeting where the client pays us a grand a month. It's just not really the highest value for his time. Whereas Colin is really polished. Long story short, who in your mind usually runs the QBRs or TBRs? We call them network reviews. Is it the owner, salespeople, account manager? Like what is your ideal vision for an MSP? So I'll do it, right? Mm -hmm. All those, you know, the different roles do it. There are some technical minded VCIOs that come from the engineering side. There's obviously the account manager led VCIOs and certainly the owner led VCIOs. But what I would say is look at your team and say, who's best to straddle the business and technical conversation, right? Because you got to know both. And if it's an account manager that's doing it, you've got to invest some training into that account manager. Mm. And this is something that I think a lot of MSP owners take for granted because a lot of them were technical founders, right? They're like, hey, I was technical or I was sales, you know, first and and I was able to adapt to this QBR methodology and I was able to talk to my customers at a business level. Why can't Tyer do that? Right. Mm -hmm. And the reason Tyer can't do that is because he's not running a business. Mm -hmm. He hasn't experienced those business pains that now that technical owner understands that they can better communicate to the customer. So you got to help these guys rise up. And that's really where, you know, a platform like ours comes into play because we know that that discussion is usually not happening regular. So we've built our process and, you know, I've said process a few times. I'll just summarize it quick. It's build a client strategy, run an assessment, identify the gaps, which drives roadmap. That could be also with product lifecycle and then have a budget and forecast discussion. We're not talking anything amazing here, but it's how do you tie those things together and quantify them? And, Mm -hmm. you know, we all ask our customers, hey, what do you want to do? But then what do we do with that information we get? Mm -hmm. And what our process does is it ties that project back to that goal so the customer can see it visibly and they can make a more informed decision and feel confident and not be blind faith. So when you go back to your role question there, I don't even look at it as a specific person, but it's a team-based approach. We call mm-hmm. it the office of ECIO. And in your office of ECIO, you might have an account manager who's playing the forward-facing role of ECIO. That could also be the owner, depending on the size and scope of the organization. But if he's playing that role, he's really meant to be the customer advocate and carry the, the communication back to the team. Mm-hmm. Then you should have an engineer or a series of engineers that are helping with the assessment process and building it out. They're there to support the more gnarly initiatives, but they don't necessarily need to be on that on that QBR event unless they're going to bring some value to the event. Hmm. Then there should be somebody that fills kind of the BC cell role. Now that is a whole other conversation we can have in a different podcast on who who should do that. But there should be somebody holding that security conversation because even if you don't think we're getting paid for it or any of those comments, your customer thinks you're doing it already. Mm-hmm. So you better be prepared to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then the owner needs to be executive, you know, the executive acceleration point or, um, you know, uh, elevation point. Excuse me. I was thinking I couldn't get the right word out there. Yeah. If something comes up, the buck's got to stop with somebody. Yeah. So, you know, if there's something that's going to have a cost or something like that, they got to be there. And this team has to have 
a little bit of an understanding about each customer. They have to be able to communicate to one another, and they have to make sure whoever's going to go out there and present that meeting, that they're equipped to answer the types of questions that might come up. Mm-hmm. So, so I've always looked at it as a team-based approach and then have your strongest business com- conversationalist be the one that runs the meeting. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really interesting. I think one thing that I love is you explaining the importance of knowing the business discussion. Like I've been on the leadership team of Baltech for like five years. So I've been in the inner workings of our profitability and our team and hiring and firing and all of the things that a business really deals with on a day to day. So for me, those conversations come naturally. And I notice with my account manager, who's amazing, he can't really have those same discussions. And it's almost like this has been an epiphany moment for you, you saying this, because it's like, well, yeah, because he hasn't been in those conversations. Yeah, how would he under, <laughs> yeah like how would he know that PL is a thing? Like some of the questions he asked me, I'm like, wait, what? But it makes sense because he hasn't been in behind the scenes of accounting or hiring or firing or all those things that go into a business. So even though I'm not a business owner, I've been so well equipped for that conversation. And now I'm realizing I, I can't that can't be the case because I can't do these anymore. And so, so, you know, I think I'm definitely going to give him training on business operations and read him some business books. And like, cause that's the people you're talking to. Like you may not, may not always be the owner, but it might be the chief operation officer who really cares about this stuff. So that's, yeah. that's spot on. And, and well, you're spot on with that because you know, the other part that this comes back to is um, how you culturally run your organization. The more open you are as an organization, the faster you can accelerate some of this growth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when I when we were running our, our more mature MSP, we actually were pretty open with the books, too. Mm-hmm. You know, we would show that this is where our profitability was. This is where things were lacking, especially as we were coming out of the 2008, you know, uh, market downturn. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened is people started understanding their actions could cost money. And once you start looking at it in that manner, it kind of starts ratcheting up your business knowledge just by proxy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we always felt we owed it to our, our staff. We knew they were all going to outgrow us someday. So mm-hmm. how do we make them better? How yeah. do we get them ready for their next adventure? And then how do we get them in a position where they're going to be able to maybe come back and buy us? Right? Yeah. So, you know, we always looked at it that way. Like, how do we do that? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you start breeding a culture like that, you're going to start giving these guys some business acumen along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We've, we've been very open with our revenue profit the last few years. This year, our, re- our profit is like significantly higher than last year. And I'm just, I have a feeling it's not going to be included in the PowerPoint this time, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, I would do it. I'm just not the owner of all tech, but it's like, it's like, oh, wow, we're making a lot of money. You know, everyone's going to be asking for raises. Um, it goes the other way. Sometimes you're showing it and what they thought you were already, then there's the other side of the story. What they thought you're all taking home is the, you know, we had four partners in our ultimate combined company and they were like, oh, you guys can't be taking home as much as we thought. We're like, oh, that definitely happened the last couple of years. It's like, oh, wow, there's not nearly as much. Well, and that's the cool thing that I love about what Alltech has set up recently to incentivize growth. Not recently. It's actually been like three or four years now. The owner of Alltech takes like, it's something wild, like 30% of the profit or something, like a big ass chunk. Like if I was an owner, I, 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 you know, I'm sure I would do the same thing, but it's got to be a tough decision. And he distributes it across the team based on tenure, how long you've been there. So like people have been here five years, their bonuses are fat. Um, and a couple other things that we recently changed, it basically used to just be based on tenure. But anyway, it's. So it just gets the whole team involved with growing the company. Because before yeah. we add a client, it's like, oh, great. Well, we're adding a client, more work. What do we get out of this? It's like your bonus goes up. Every quarter, you make more money. So, so anyway, I take back what I said because everyone is benefiting with this baller. Year. No, and it does. I mean, look, you spoke about something else. You know, you got to share the pot, right? And yeah, if you really sure. want to retain people and get them involved, share the pot. They don't care what mm-hmm. you're making if they're also getting theirs, right? And mm-hmm. we used to have about a 25% of, of, of our profit was de- delegated to him. And nice. tenure came into play very small percentage okay. of that. It was really tied to hitting um, what we called management business objectives. So MBOs, hmm. if you defined your, your management business objective, because obviously job titles vary, 
across the board, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, if if you were an engineer and you were responsible for X, you had MBOs. If you hit those MBOs, you would get eighty percent of your assigned bonus pool. Yes, you know, and, that's- and that's how we did things too. And it really helped with you know we're getting a little off track on account management, but it helped with the. 360 review process too, mm-hmm. because now the, the team knew how to come to us and assess themselves too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's such a good way to do it. That's the way we should do it. I think we're starting to move more in that tenure is still a piece of it, but that, that would be the best way to do it. It's just like more admin time, which we sometimes don't do very well. Well, that's a whole other MSP problem, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm to get you back on. So one thing we struggle with, and I think maybe because, I mean, we have a lot of large clients, like you know, a few clients that have like, you know, 200, 300 plus employees. And then we have a lot of clients that are like 50 employees, but we also have a lot of clients that are like, you know, five to 20. And some of those customers just don't want to have quarterly meetings. I mean, it's like full on teeth, um, you know, and so what advice do you have on getting these scheduled more? Well, my first thing is not all customers warrant quarterly right and it's not just a size issue it's a how dynamic is their business issue Mm -hmm. you know i could have a 50 person accounting firm but it's accounting and accounting has been accounting for all of our lifetimes our dad's lifetimes and probably their dad's lifetimes too Mm -hmm. right so the point is in that type of environment we might only need to meet once or twice a year and it's Mm -hmm. more to make sure that we're staying on track that we're meeting their demands and we're at least getting in tune to any changes maybe they're looking to acquire a smaller firm which is going to change you know physical location makeup or something like that Mm -hmm. and we need to do it so you know part one is definitely you know look at your customer and say what is the right cadence is it quarterly is it monthly is it twice a year once a year Mm-hmm. Second thing is, if it is you know only once or twice a year, mix up the messaging a little bit. Uh, we're getting to a point now as we adapt our quarterly business reviews with our customers, and especially bringing in the compliance conversation now that cyber liability is such a big concern to our clients as well, that you can build a quarterly review, but not necessarily repeat itself each time. Mm-hmm. Meeting number one could be a full QBR. Meeting number two can be a touch base and you know planning for the rest of the year, maybe there you're setting your goals plan and that's where you're doing, you know, really whiteboarding that discussion. Mm-hmm. Meeting three could be the next QBR and meeting four could be the year end security wrap up where even if they're not regulatory bound, maybe you're doing a CIS implementation group number one assessment mm-hmm. and getting those base controls in that will answer a lot of the questions they're going to get faced with, with cyber liability. Mm-hmm. But hopefully what you're taking away there is you're bringing something of value to each meeting. Mm-hmm. You're not just coming in and going, here it is showing up and throwing up. You really got to go in there and say, what's in it for that customer? So if in meeting number one, I'm building a strategic plan with them. In meeting number two, when I do the quarterly you know, review there, I want to show them where we are against that strategic plan and what projects are aligning to it. Mm-hmm. In meeting number three, we might be reviewing progress on those projects and making some decisions on the back half of the year roadmap. Mm-hmm. And then meeting number four is here's where we are from a compliance perspective. And this is what we need to gather together to be able to answer, answer our insurance reporting. Mm-hmm. And when you kind of build this more, you know, it goes back to that concept of office of ECIO, where we're really building the executive branch of how they're being operated. Now we're communicating them to them in a way that a management consulting might, our consultant might be doing to help them drive their business forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's spot on. That's, that is really interesting too. It isn't like we use just the same template every time. Um, and and that's why you're struggling because the yeah. customer is like, I've seen this before. Yeah. I've done it before. Bring me something that matters to me. I really don't, you know, Let's call the assessment what it is. That's us making sure we're doing our job in mm-hmm. most cases. You know, we might identify gaps that sit outside the service or drive a new service, and that's part of the goal of doing a QBR. Mm-hmm. But really, it's more, what are we doing that's going to help support the customer? How can we have them innovate? Mm-hmm. You know, I look at things like Microsoft Office, right? I'm a big fan. If you, if any of you are, have gone for your MBAs, you may have seen the business model canvas. We've actually incorporated it into our platform. And it's a tool where you can kind of center on what the customer's value proposition is. Then you analyze how they go to market. And then you analyze the services that are supporting go to market. And it all mm-hmm. goes in these lovely little boxes and quadrants. Yeah. But the reason you do that is because sometimes you can look at the technology they're using and go, wow, 
I can give this customer value. I can bring them more efficiency and productivity, and they don't have to even spend on it. Mm-hmm. You know, just think about what Teams has brought to organizations since that oh, launched. Yeah. Or if you want to build a portal, why not do it on SharePoint? You're already paying for it if you're an Office mm-hmm. 365 customer. So you got to look at those things from that perspective and say, where can I give them gains? And if I can articulate those gains, they're going to keep taking my meetings with me. Mm-hmm. Or if yeah. I can show more, we've achieved those gains where they might not have seen it so they can justify the continued spend, especially if they're not the owner. Then, yeah. you know, that's where where you're going to have success and you're going to keep filling that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we're, and I totally get what you're saying for sure. And like for the, for the members, the clients are like 20 plus, like there's so much more fun stuff to uncover. Like we've made so much money this year on like getting more people to SharePoint and doing the business premium versus business standard. Like there's, there's been so many opportunities with those like kind of larger companies, usually like 25 plus and they spend real money. And so from my perspective, because we're kind of lean, I mean, though we're like, we're coming up on like 5 million, but we're still kind of lean from the account management side. It's like, I'm like a quarter of account manager and Colin is account manager and I haven't running sales. So I'm like, I just, it's hard to invest time into those member, into those businesses that are like 10 people, you're going to do all this cool stuff. They're not going to buy anything anyway. I'm just like, man, I'm just going to, so I just, you know what, when they say they want to meet about a specific thing, like they're moving to office, then we'll just kind of do the whole review. We're like, all right, we'll just meet and do it. Then. Right. But you know, where I'll say the lost opportunity is there, um, is just the staying engaged, right? You know, yeah. those, those under 20 people, yes, there might not be as much to talk about, certainly not suggesting quarterly at all, but there's still that value conversation that retains the customer. You still mm-hmm. want to make sure you're getting beyond the commodity layer. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, COVID helped in driving this, but these meetings don't have to be in person anymore. Now you could do yeah. a half hour yeah. on a video call as opposed to, you know, the big pomp and circumstance that you need to on site with some of these customers. But the thing is, if you can build just, you know, work with them to understand what their key initiatives are, because some of those smaller customers have never even defined goals. Their goal is mm-hmm. to keep the lights on. But if you can find out, well, even if you want to keep the lights on, that's the initiative you're going after. How can we do that? Show a smaller customer cost savings. They're going to appreciate of a few thousand dollars. They're going to appreciate that more than your larger customers because that few thousand dollars is probably going directly to the owner. We pay for the kids braces. Mm -hmm. So it's a different conversation. And what I always say, too, is not every review shouldn't be identical. We have a process in VCIO Toolbox when you're doing an assessment you're going to pick a maturity level for the customer. Hmm. A lower maturity level is going to have a much smaller set of, of criteria to assess. And then your larger customers will have a much more expansive review. It's not meant to be one size fits all. See, that's an example of knowing your target market doing like that. Cause that's, that's legit. Like the thing that I struggle with, cause I'm like, I don't even want to like, there's when I'm creating a review for these smaller ones, like I take out like, no, I don't even want to have to talk about these whole things. There's zero chance they're going to do vulnerability scanning. That's $500 a month. Like, you know, I take out so much stuff because I'm like, it's just going to be a way. It's going to be a waste well, of time. You know, I'd argue, because I know the client. I'd argue, <laughs> like, so you're, you're, you're not presenting it the right way then, right? Because you're coming at it from a cost perspective. And please don't take offense to this. I've no, done I'm it not, myself. But you're taking it from that cost perspective. And now you're making the decision for the customer. As opposed to going there and saying, hey, you know, this might not be something you considered. And look, it might be outside your budget at this time. But vulnerability scanning is really going to help you stay in front of some of those zero day threats that are coming to market and keep that, you know, and let us really see where those areas are because then we of of pain are because we can isolate on that faster. And this is really going to help improve productivity and reduce that that chance of uh, or that risk of a breach. You change that narrative a little bit. Now, at least they have information to make that informed thought. They might still throw up at it. Yeah. Or no, they I might totally, say, well, that seems to be more important to me than getting a new laptop this year. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that for sure. The way you frame, I mean, trust me, like that's my whole life when it comes to positioning. The problem is with smaller businesses, a lot of times we have such a large stack. Every MSP does. Yeah of things that we can sell. And when I have to prioritize, what do I have to get approved in this meeting? A lot of times it comes down to advanced spam filtering. They got to have that, right? Business premium licenses. So they're going from like 15 bucks a month, to almost 30. I got to get the MDR in place. Cause to me, that's the highest value piece. 
Like I'll take that over vulnerability scanning all day of the week. And then like, there's a couple other priorities that I have to get across before I get to like dark web monitoring <laughs> and before I get to like vulnerability management. And like, so it, it's like the reality of like making sure I can prioritize what I need to get approved first. And that's usually where that, like what you were talking about, that like client service matrix where it's like, okay, what does the client have and what do they not have? And so now they have all those things. So on the next meeting, that's when I'll kind of get into those, what I consider like more tertiary services kind of thing. Well, you just defined what I call the art form. I mean, you're actually approaching it the right way because you are the leader for that customer. You've mm -hmm. got to set the priority on what's going to give them the most bang for the dollars that they might have to spend, right? True, so yeah. you've got to look at those tools. And again, I don't know each and every one of your customers, but I can look at that and say, hey, if they're missing those core functions, you got to get that done. But that's why we build roadmaps. Yeah, Because exactly. yeah. maybe they can't bite off vulnerability scanning this year, but maybe I can show it to them next year and where they're going to get the relief is something else that they're going to change from a capital cost to a operational cost or something like that. So yeah. it's all, you know, for the VCIO, you've got to have, you know, it goes back to that concept of business acumen. You've got to be able to just be able to go, what's most important? How can I segment this? Also, how can sure. I build a budget that my customer can actually bite off? Mm -hmm. I guarantee you've probably never looked because yet I've had maybe one MSP ever tell me they did, but I, you've probably never looked and said, what have these guys spent historically with us beyond our service contract? Mm -hmm. If they have only spent $5,000 a year with you for the last 10 years, you know, outside of the service contract, you mm -hmm. can't show up with 50 grand worth of planning. Yeah. It's just not going to work. Right. Mm. But you could also, but you want to ramp up that five. Cause if you've only been grabbing five, there's no reason you might not be able to double that and get to 10. You get where yeah. we're going here. So yeah, for sure. you've got to set this plan with the customer and by building a roadmap and building it kind of with a linear mindset, yeah. of, you know, of we're going to stagger this stuff over the course of time based on priorities. So we make sure that the things that are most concerning get done first, mm -hmm. we can work with a customer. But a C priority can become an A priority because budget exists. Yeah. And an A priority might have to become a B priority because it doesn't. Right. Yeah, and sure. that's and that's where we can keep reshuffling the deck in these meetings too to make sure that we're there. Mm -hmm. And if we do it right, that's where we get rid of the sales friction. And that's you know, literally what I say in the meeting too, is I'll be like, listen, I was like, these are our recommendations. And I explain, you know, from my from my perspective, pretty good way on like explaining the value of each. And I say, if I had to prioritize, if I was you and you, and we, based on what you told me about what we're allocating for budget, I would, I would go with these three and we'll do these next year. Yeah. And like, for some reason, just saying that it like makes them go, okay, so this isn't just a sales meeting. Like they're not just trying to get the maximum you're, you're amount consulting. for me. You're truly yeah. consulting. It's, and that's what this is supposed to be is a consultative conversation the end game will be what you want it to be. And yeah. if you think about it from a business perspective, all of us in the MSP space, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Nobody's mm -hmm. building an MSP in a year and flipping it. It just, yeah. it takes more time than that. But yep. the, the beauty of it, I sold telecom, you know, like I didn't go all the way back in my history, but my first job was in telecom before mm -hmm. I, I switched over to IT. The toughest thing in telecom was, you know, especially back in those days when we sold them something, we didn't have anything we could sell them for three more years because we just contract everything. There was no way to be sticky with them. What mm -hmm. attracted me to IT right away is there's always innovation required. Yeah. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Well, how do you make sure you receive those gifts back to your place? Get them on a roadmap. Mm -hmm. discuss that roadmap, help them understand what the priorities are and why it's important to them and how it ties back to their, their goals plan. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, when you get to those projects, because they've also seen directional pricing, yeah, they're not shocked. There's no slowdown for, Hey, can we negotiate this? Generally my MSPs keep more margin because if you know, you don't inflate the price, but if I told you to year it was 12,000 bucks that we were going to be doing this project for six months from now. And today I could buy it for 10, but I plan for it and I've already gotten some customer acceptance. So maybe I'm acquiring some of the piece parts when I see deals along the way, I might be able to turn my margin the next, you know, put an extra 10, 15 points on my margin because I can shop on it mm -hmm. on my way to that project. Cause I've already gained commitment from the customer. Yeah. You know, and those are the cool. kinds of steps you can take behind the scenes 
you know, a shrewd business person will take behind the scenes. But from a customer perspective, you're guiding them. You're the Sherpa. You're not yeah. the guy trying to just take money out of their pocket. A hundred percent. And one thing we had a, we had an episode with my account manager. He actually came on the podcast, which was awesome. He's, he's great. And one thing I asked him, I didn't know the answer to this question when I asked him, I said, how much of your role is customer service versus selling? And he said, 80, 20. And I bet you the 80 was customer service, right? Yeah. 80 was customer service. Yeah. And I said, perfect. That's exactly what I want to hear. And it shows why we're killing it on account management since he's, well, I would say he probably had like six months of ramp up, but since then we're killing on account management and it drives me effing crazy when MSPs say account managers are order takers. I hear that a lot and it drives me crazy because it's like, okay, cool. So, so how did, <laughs> how would your revenue jump up so much when you get an account manager? Is that because the same amount of orders have come in because clients are going to order? They don't know what to order. They don't know what the roadmap looks like, right? They don't know what projects they need to do. That's where the account manager comes in clutch. And yeah. so that mentality, anybody listening right now, like if you have that mentality that the account manager, like if you're, if you're about to hire account manager, you're wondering whether you should hire account manager and that it's just an order to take her to take things off your plate. That's silly. You need to drop that mindset right now. <laughs> that is crazy. And when you put so much emphasis on the customer service, like Colin does, when you show up for these quarterly reviews, well, really in our case, it's like annual reviews, they are trusting everything you're saying because you help them with that VoIP issue. You help them escalate that one thing. You help them do these things that they've needed throughout the year. So the trust is super high. Whereas we have account managers with all these vendors that sell to the MSP and that shit drives me crazy. They're like, oh, you have this. They're not happy that we're, they're billing us $40,000 a month. They want to also sell me this to bill more. But when I send them an email, when I need help and we're spending $40,000 a month with them and it takes them three days to reply, but the minute I need something else, I need to buy from them to reply right away. That's how you lose trust. Like, and that's what I see all the time on the MSP space and the vendor space and drives me crazy. Well, you know, it, it goes right into the title, right? Account manager, you know, if, if that's the one you're utilizing for your organization, mm -hmm. if they're there to manage the client, the account relationship. Is the account happy? If not, they're the ones that should be getting out in front of that, sitting there and taking some of the heat in those moments and then bringing it back and working with the team to get a solution, right? Yeah. They're the ones that, as you said, have to answer the bell or be an escalation point if things are slowing down at the help desk layer. They have to be the ones that are listening to the customer to understand what changes are happening so they can bring it back to the team and figure out if there's new opportunity we can generate from it, but do it in a way that it's going to benefit the customer. Mm -hmm. And the key to hiring account managers because you've been dropping the ball on those things as an owner-led guy or a sale. You know, there's hunters and there's farmers, right? And mm -hmm. a hunter doesn't do these things well because they're out for the next kill. Yeah. And if you see that that's falling apart, that's when you're bringing in that account manager, that VCIO, that customer success manager, however you're going to approach it for your marketplace, but somebody to kind of quarterback the relationship. Yeah. So the customer knows if nothing else, if I'm having a problem and I call Tyre, I will hear back from him today. Mm -hmm. And to anybody listening, that's like, because we didn't get an account manager until we were way too big. We should have yeah. gotten an account manager way sooner. It has freed me up to kill it on the sales side because and the marketing side, because I've spent so much, the larger we got, the more time I spent with account management and it was restricting. It was squeezing our growth because I couldn't focus on what I needed to focus on the outbound. Yeah. Getting an account manager, anybody listening to this right now, if there's one thing that I can just stress so hard is it will pay, he or she will pay for themselves quickly if you get the right person. And you put a good structure in place, get VCI toolbox so they have something to show up with, you know, at these reviews with maybe a senior engineer or whatever, because it will, not only will that person directly pay for themselves, so then ROI will be there, probably within 12 months, I would say. You know, depend on, depending on client base and size, it will free up you if you're currently dealing with client stuff to sell more, to work on your operations, the classic and cliche, but true working on the business, not in the business. Like that is such an important role. Like it is so important. It is just like, it has opened up the floodgates for our growth over the last couple of years. 
But to, you know, to your point where you say maybe you waited too long, you probably didn't because you also need to get to a certain size mm. where that role can be supported and also be revenue generating mm -hmm. just by accident. You know what I mean? Those are individuals, you know, if you're playing the unicorn game where you're like, I got to get somebody that knows business tech and really understands all that. Well, those guys aren't cheap. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, um, and and if that's the case, you've got to have 15, 20 accounts in that guy's mm -hmm. bag that yeah, they're yeah. managing in order to get to the point to get that return on investment. True. But once you get to that point, absolutely, you're going to see growth in those companies just by accident because they're going to yeah. be asking questions that you as a sales rep or the owner didn't have time to explore. Mm -hmm. And oh. you should, you know, again, churn still will exist, but you should see any churn you might be experiencing, or at least with MSPs, let's face it, it's sometimes tough. You know, it's hard to lose an account. It's hard to acquire an account because yep. it's a painful move for a customer. But we have these times where we have accounts that are what I, we used to call on life support. And even though we knew we weren't going to get kicked to the carpet now, they were unhappy. They were noisier mm. as a result of that unhappiness. And it took us six months to rebuild the trust in those situations. Mm -hmm. And that would happen often. If you're experiencing that as an MSP, it's because you don't have an account manager who's staying yeah. engaged. What that, what used, When we analyzed it, what drove that is we weren't staying in tune with the customer. So when problems would occur, it felt like we weren't there. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel that for sure. We had our first client in a while leave last month and it didn't surprise me one, one minute. Like when they left, when I saw the client email that they were leaving, I was like, yeah, yeah, we've given that client no love. Uh, you know, I, I, we didn't, it didn't surprise me at all. And that's when I was like, so we're hiring a second account manager right now. Yep. So I'm in the process of going, going through that. And so Colin's getting promoted to senior account manager and then I'm getting account manager under him. Cause I'm like, yeah, Colin's selling like crazy right now. I'm also selling. And so, so many accounts are being neglected, including this one, because I need additional bandwidth. And the thing, this was not a hard sell to the owner because I'm like, look, they're going to pay for themselves. And that person, that client would not have left if we had someone outside of Colin. It's not that Colin's dropping the ball. It's just that our size and sales and growth, we got to have somebody to retain yeah. them. Well, I mean, that, you know, that's a organizational planning challenge that you got to, you know, think about too. You always mm -hmm. want to know what your next hire is going to be, um, you know, based on any kind of success metric, right? You know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, as you build out an account management team, you got to be thinking, well, this is going to succeed. What are we going to need if it succeeds? And then all of us have our B plans for if things don't turn out the way we want to. And, you know, again, all this comes down to, and it goes, it circles back to what you're saying earlier to your, the VCIO process is not, a prep tonight and go tomorrow type process. You do have to invest time into the build out of a meeting mm -hmm. event. You do have to invest time. You do have to pull in resources from other parts of the team. But if you do it, it will ensure you keep getting those gifts that are mm -hmm. available to you from that customer. And, yeah. you know, those gifts can be referrals too. And we have a part of our program that we talk about it. Those that, you know, go through our ramp camp accelerator program as part of their coaching training and accountability ramp up, they're learning how to use these tools to really stay engaged with their customer at all points of the relationship. Mm -hmm. They're using these tools to uncover pain points that the customer might not even see. Mm -hmm. And and that's really where, you know, where it, it comes together. Like, you know, how are we going to stay engaged? That's always the big question. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I used to get guys, well, I call them up and I ask them how they're doing. I go, and what's the response? <laughs> oh, they tell me that they're doing good. And I yeah. go, then what? Well, then we get off the phone. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, yes, you logged a call. They saw, heard from you, but what was the value? Really, you just distracted their day asking that. So, you know, you've got to come in with a plan, too, of, hey, I'm going to make the call to touch base. What do I want to follow up on? Hey, let me go walk to the help desk and see if there's any outstanding issues. Hey, you know, what's going on in their industry? It sounds silly, but if you spend a few minutes, it might take 10 just to go, you know, is there any new news on their website that they've experienced <laughs> that I can at least congratulate them on or something like that. Yeah. It shows that you, you care and it definitely changes the tone and tenor of the relationship. It's going to get these people to open up to you when you're in those meetings. Nice. Yeah. I like that. That's a great tip. So what are, what are some cool things that like maybe that your partners are doing right now? Like any, any like specific, like, Oh man, they use the VCI toolbox 
to do this, or they do this outside of the VCI toolbox, like any yeah. just general tips that successful MSPs are doing from a, a client engagement perspective? Yeah, well, you know, I've kind of, I've talked about building these strategic plans, which is something that customers have time and time again, you know, when I've followed up with my clients in these ramp camps where we're teaching them, they've told me, as soon as we built a strategic plan, they looked at me and said, we didn't know you wanted to know that kind of stuff from us. Or wow, this makes much more sense. Now I can see where the dots get connected because customers sometimes take tech for granted, right? Mm -hmm. So that was one innovative thing. Now let's flip to the, the switch to the GRC side of things. Mm -hmm. So we always knew we wanted this platform to be your full advisory stack, if you will. Think mm -hmm. of it almost as a PSA for your account management and advisory team, right? We, we've got tools to manage the relationships, see the metrics at the big picture drive your QBRs, and then drive security programs. And one of the things that we're definitely seeing that the, the best performing MSPs we have with us are doing is building compliance as a service programs, but going beyond the automated tools to get the, the understanding of what's going wrong, but actually working with them to measure those things to frameworks, to evaluate risk through a proper risk management process and ultimately help them get to the point where they can prove out and get lower cyber's liability rates. Hmm. And our customers are, are creating new three to $5,000 streams of revenue that didn't exist a year ago hmm. by doing this now because the customer is concerned. They're mm -hmm. much more educated than they were five years ago to security. They understand the breach oftentimes is an if not when. But really, mm -hmm. that cyber liability discussion is driving a lot of it because it's getting harder to get that insurance. And they're worried about getting a claim rejected if it is them. Yeah. So that's where we're seeing a lot of innovation. And our tool really supports that. We have mm -hmm. a risk management tool where you can go in and, and measure the likelihood and impact of the risks you identify both through your assessment process. And then, of course, risks you just face as an organization. We have the framework capabilities that doing our CIS or ISO or HIP or whatever the case may be. We've got international based regulations where you can really go in and help them prepare for those regulations, gather that evidence and get ready for audit prep and then make a plan of action to make the improvements. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we're seeing a lot of customers asking our MSPs and MSSP partners to basically manage vendor risk on their behalf. So we have third-party management tools built into the system where you can actually send out a vendor risk assessment like many that you've answered on cool. behalf of your customers, bring that feedback in and generate scorecards so a customer really can see where their risk lives across their, uh, across their vendor path. That's right. how you create new revenue streams. And yeah. you, know, you may have heard it here if you did see our pitch, but one of the things I always refer back to is Jay McBain of Canalysis had did a study last year. And in that study, he basically showed that the global technology market's supposed to double by 2031. It's supposed to go mm. from 3.5 billion to 7 billion. Yet for the channel, that number is only going from 2.1 billion of that share to 2.3 billion of that share. And that's because of the advances of marketplaces and the direct sales teams coming back into vogue and things like that. So how is an MSP going to stay relevant long-term? Well, the good news is in his study, it shows that 90% of the, these deals are supposed to be facilitated by partners. So now you can get into high, high con cost consulting, high cost managed services with big margin to help steward those teams. So if you're the MSP that's thinking about security, like I just outlined, or where going to be the outcomes of AI as our customers start expanding that into the platform. Mm -hmm. And of course, everybody's still, you know, on their cloud journey in some way, shape or form. Some may be done with it, but some are finishing. And if you could be speaking to those three things with your customer, you're going to protect yourself even more from the continuing evolution. You know, I've been in this a while. We yeah. started fixing things first, right? Then yeah. we started managing things. Then we started putting things in the cloud. This is an industry that antiquates itself about every five to seven years. Mm -hmm. And if you're not staying on the front end of that curve, you're going to find yourself sitting on the outside. And those yeah. that are trying to get big business valuations, you're going to see your business diminish at a time where you really want it to accelerate so you can exit. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> Tom, the owner of Altex, actually my father-in-law. I think I mentioned on the podcast before, a few times before, but, and he loves telling the stories of selling T ones for thousands of dollars and he loves telling the story about how they used to build computers and they would make $5,000 a piece on them, you know? So it's funny how much it's changed. And from even when he started in 2003, or I guess he had a company before that. 
And yeah, I mean, really what the MSP today looks like, I love that you said it's antiquated every five to seven years because an MSP in five to seven years is, is not going to look like what it does today. Like not even, probably not even close. Like, so, so I love that. And that's so true. And that's why, you know, I love that listeners of this podcast and your podcast, like these are people that want to stay ahead of the curve and it's people like you and it's, it's good vendors and good mature MSPs that are providing good advice to get people to move into the next step. And so that's, that's cool. That's really cool. I feel like we're doing a service. Yeah, a little well, bit of a we're service. on this journey together, you know, and that's really it. And there is a lot of vendors out there and you've seen it that have, you know, they've done their time as MSPs. They're, they're kind of on the second chapter of their lives too. And they've come up with these ideas for problems that they wanted to fix. And, a lot of those, you know, vendors like we competed, you know, I'm, I'm very open about this. We competed most of the time at Lifecycle Insights, right? And mm. Alex and Marnie are two of the best of giving giving to the marketplace. You know, we benefit from some of what they did too and, and bringing some of that awareness up. And, mm. you know, obviously for guys that, like myself and them who are doing kind of customer-centric, you know, products, of course you're going to feel that way. But you're seeing that everywhere, even insurance companies now have people that are really trying to evangelize and share knowledge. Yeah, hopefully they come back to your doorstep if you do it right. But if not, mm. it's just to help communicate and answer the questions that are out in the marketplace today. So, yeah, you know, I believe strongly in that go-giver mentality. Yeah. And, you know, obviously sure. you're in you doing a podcast, which isn't probably for any money. If And if it is, it's not a whole lot. And we get a lot is, of leads from it. Well, I mean, that's yes, not why we started it, but, no, but it's that's a natural cool. benefit. Yeah. <laughs> but you're taking, you know, here we are. We're going to spend an hour today really with a conversation that's going to, that could bring us leads. Wonderful if it does, or it could just help somebody that's struggling with the problems we have. Yeah, and you're sure. doing that for the love of the game. Mm. You're not doing that because it's bringing you riches, you know, on no. the other side. Yeah, it That's could be driving I'm... some leads, but if you lived off of the leads from your podcast, you won't be living long. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's why, like, I'm super selective about who comes in the podcast. Like, that's why I want invited you because I'm like, dude, Brian's great. And as I heard through this, like, really amazing tips. And I've had so many, I don't know if you've had this problem either, or not really problem, but I've had so many people trying to sponsor the podcast. And so many people are trying to sponsor the community. They're like, hey, how much to do this or do that? And I'm just like, I'm like, that's not why I'm doing this. And the minute I start taking your money, now who I am and what I say and who I bring on the podcast is skewed. And I ain't about that life. Because again, like this is just one, it's the funnest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Like MSP camp, this podcast, talking to people like you, learning from everybody. I mean, I'm learning. That's a cool thing. Like with all the listeners of podcasts now, I'm learning with them. Because half the episodes are me talking to people like you and so many times I bring back stuff to the organization, to all tech, and we implement it. And it gets you to meet people that you wouldn't otherwise meet, right? Yeah. Because you've got this forum, this platform that they want to partake in. And you can get those people that might have been out of reach for you to have a conversation with because you're not at all the shows or things like that. And 100%. you can get them into the forum and, you know, while I love it, you know, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, we, we don't have as many people trying to sponsor us only because they know that, you know, OSR and BCIO Toolbox kind of, you know, run that thing. But if you mm. listen to our podcast, we talk very little about ourselves. Same. You know, and usually yeah. if we do, it's with the, yep, shameless plug coming as quick as possible and move on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's usually, it, it has to be relevant <laughs> to something that's coming up natively in discussion. Yeah. But by no sense do we sit there and plan our conversation to say, hey, how can we fit our companies into this? We could go six episodes where you not, might not hear us reference either one of our mm. companies, and that's okay. Yeah. Those that want to yeah. learn more will look and research us, and if they research us, they find what you do. Yeah. What you said is so spot on. I read a book before I before we started MSP Camp called Traffic Secrets by Russell Brunson. Yep. Very, love very it. cognizant of that one. Oh, I love it. Great book, great dude. And he explained this one, or he told this wonderful story about there was like this celeb, there was a guy that used to host this like really popular show. And then like years later, they did a celebrity like um, competition. And he was in the celebrity competition. It was after the show ended. And the goal was to raise money for this charity. And he was the only person, even though he had one of the top shows in the world at one point, he was the only person that didn't raise a dollar during that campaign. And later when they analyzed what happened, or maybe it was that he said or whatever, it was because 
he no longer had a show. He didn't have a platform that would benefit the person. So why would they care about him? And so the exactly what you said, like I have a show so I can get access to people like Nigel Moore, you know, who I respected. He, he has been a hero of mine for years, Tom Lawrence hero of mine for years. And because I have a podcast and I have something I can pitch them, I get them engaged. And I've heard MSPs and I have a friend of mine that started a podcast and a video podcast specifically to interview local business owners. And so he's interviewing all these business owners and it's actually becoming like a thing. And he gets in front of the business owners after the podcast, they get to talk shit. They get to, you know, relax. Now he keeps them on his marketing and Hey, you can email me now. We just did a podcast together. They're friends. Leave. You're spot on. We had an MSP up here in Connecticut that only deals with manufacturing companies. So he decided to basically build a podcast that showcased all the local manufacturers in Connecticut, brought them in. Same thing that you're talking about, did a podcast where they got to talk about what they were doing, promoted on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was talking to one of his employees and he said 65% of the, the manufacturers that have come on the podcast within 12 months of that podcast have become customers. Damn. Left their other provider because they felt that we really knew what they were, you know, what they wanted because we had a forum that spoke to their audience and their audience only. Yeah. And that's, that's so spot on. People overcomplicate marketing so they don't do it. I think people, not to get too much off track from this conversation. No, I mean, look, marketing's all part of it as well. Account management's a subtle marketing approach, you know, as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's like people will overcomplicate what marketing is to where they think like a marketing strategy has to be like a million things. And it doesn't like what you just said, the guy with the manufacturing, that's the only thing he needs to do. That's the only thing he needs to do probably. (laughs) And he's getting plenty of leads. Like in our case, like we put so much emphasis on SEO, which has worked great, getting more Google reviews and everybody else, which has worked great, consistent direct mail to a list of people we want to work with, inconsistently calling um social media i've always done that and a lot of content 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 that's like six things i mean we do a lot of other things which helps build our brand awareness so those things work better like we do events and we do you know um webinars and we do a lot of stuff but like those are the core pieces of things that are driving many of our leads and that's only seven things everyone thinks marketing is like this scary big you got to do a thousand things and it's like not really. You, it no, can you be gotta, really you simple. Do, my, you know, one of my coaches told me do one thing until you do it well, then add a second. Mm, right. You know, like and then that. once you get to that point, add a third. Right. Yeah. And make sure your process de- defining process. We started with SEO. Part of our mm-hmm. strategy with our name was to help SEO. Right. Oh, you know, for that yep. for that tool. Then once we got past SEO, it was like, okay, let's build a podcast and let's yep. use this as mechanism number two. Once yep. that got on you know, cruise control, then it was move on to the next thing, a little bit of Google ads, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But the point is get good at one thing before moving to the next thing. And then yeah. I always go back. The thing that blew my mind probably more than anything else during our pitch it coach sessions mm-hmm. was when Jay McBain came in and showed the 2,300 places you need to be as a vendor in order to get full coverage yeah. on, uh, on all aspects. And of course, the laugh was you can't be in 2,300 places. Mm-hmm. So out of these different segments, whether it was doing trade shows and, and or social media or at Google Ads or you know vendor partnerships, pick the ones that feel most native to you as a being and just mm-hmm. go deep and narrow on it or narrow mm-hmm. and deep on it. Yeah. And that resonated with me more than anything else because you can, you know, we all look at our competitors. What are they doing? Well, I should do that too. Maybe you shouldn't because maybe that's not where your skill set is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. So, love it, man. Any anything else that you wanted to? You know, this has been really great. You've you've really explained VCI toolbox well. I think anybody that that's doing these reviews, if you're not using some type of tool nowadays, there's you really got to be. I mean, it just makes it look so much better. It, it's. It just makes it feel more professional and and Brian's tool is great. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll always say this. We sell a process, not a tool, right? The tool Mm -hmm. just backs up a process. Mm -hmm. Pick your tool, build your process, make it repeatable and stick with it. Our job as tool makers in this, and of course, I hope you come check out VCIO toolbox forward slash 
look at them. I'm not, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, all kidding aside, um, you know, be, you know, when, when you, uh, you know, when you're looking at this, say to myself, how am I going to make this consistent and how can I make it a repeatable process? Mm. I don't sugarcoat. You got to build a baseline for every customer. That's going to take you the most time. Yeah. There is an investment. There's yeah. no snap the switch and get it all done. But That's once a- you do that, we have a closing process that makes sure that that information is returned to you each period. And now you're just modifying it. My, you know, my customers tell me we save 60 to 70% of our prep time versus that baseline, right. every meeting going on from there. And that's what you got to get to. And from a customer perspective, they're seeing material consistently in a way they understand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not talking about the, Hey, I'm tired of seeing the same thing over and over kind of thing, but you're the, the framework is the same, but you're going to punch your conversation based on what's read in that moment. Mm-hmm. It might be the mm-hmm. scorecard. It might be the, the behind on the strategy and roadmap plan, whatever it may be. But the point is the customer now can understand it because it's consistent from meeting to meeting. They're not yeah. being shown this report this time and a variant next time because we're a bunch of tweakers and we love to make changes mm-hmm. and we got new PowerPoints and it's tough for them to measure from one time to another. Yeah. Love that, man. Well, this is cool. I, you've done great at Pitch It. I love seeing you around. I, I have a feeling I'm going to yeah, see you a lot more. It's been great getting to know more. you, Terry. It's been in a yeah. lot of fun, you know, getting to know you and others in the group and yeah. starting to do things like this together. This, yeah. you know, looking forward to the long tail of it, too. For sure. Well, anything else that you want to kind of hit on on any of this topic before we kind of wrap up? No, I mean, you know, while kidding aside, just go to go.vciotoolbox.com forward slash demo or just hit our regular website. You can book a demo right on the front page. Love to take you for a walkthrough and yeah. see if it's the right tool for you. Love it. Yeah, check out Brian. Check out his tool. I'm going to have my account manager check it out. Um, and to all the listeners, Thanks again for listening. I know this one was a little long, but I feel like it was really good conversation. So I just wanted to keep it going, you know, and um, thanks again for listening to the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. We're going to keep coming every week with as much value as we can. Um, And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, everybody.